Hope everybody is doing well. It's good to have you with us this day and uh, delighted to be able to uh, lead our service and, and see what Christ is going to do in our lives together. And I appreciate you coming out. We uh, want to keep Tim in our prayers as he is away this week. He's got a day off today, and I think he went somewhere, and then he went somewhere else. So he should be back in town tomorrow if he's not already back in town. So we'll, uh, we miss him and look forward to having him here next Sunday. If you would take out your bulletins, we have some announcements as we get started. As always, the tear-off portion in the back is uh, for any guests, just fill that out and put in the offering plate as it goes by and anything you might need to know about Mechanicsville Baptist, we would love to share with you. And then on the yellow side is a place for prayer requests. Please continue to uh, send your requests. It is certainly a privilege to pray each Tuesday in our staff time for all the needs that you may have. And you don't have to put names on those. The anonymous requests are fine. Any, anybody you'd like us to pray for, it is certainly uh, a privilege to do so. On the back are opportunities for the week, and it is good to know that everything is back on. Last week was spring break, and not a lot was happening. And uh, this week, everything is on. Tonight, 5 o'clock, we have our encounter service right here. We've got RAs, GAs, Mission Friends over in the FLC. The youth meet at 6. And then Monday and Thursday is basketball and volleyball. And Kevin Hare is here today. I pointed you out last week. You don't even remember this. You weren't here when I pointed you out. He did a lot of work on those floors. The floors are all rebuffed and re... So, so for basketball and volleyball, it's not going to be so slippery. So come on out, bring your friends. They, they're in great shape. We appreciate all your time and service with that, Kevin. And uh, so Monday is basketball at 7, and volleyball is Thursday at 7. And I got a little advance warning. Our, our Ryan, our missionary who's in the Alpha House right now, he's going to be playing basketball with us Monday nights at 7. So if you want to meet the guy who's staying in the Alpha House, come on out on Monday nights. Subliminal or alternate promotion there. So he, he was there at the early service today. He's looking forward to getting to know us as a church before he goes into the mission field once again. Uh, Tuesday, women on mission are going to the Pasta House at 11. Midweek, we've got Wednesday night supper. It is not sub sandwiches, it is Salisbury steak. And I said earlier, I think that's an improvement. No offense to the subs. Subs are fine. Uh, so Salisbury steak, Wednesday night for dinner, sign up for that. Connect groups are back. If you've not been a part of the connect group, we're only on week number two, right? Two, so come on out. Make sure if you did sign up to continue to be a part of it. And uh, we'd love to have you. There are three groups, and we have good sign-ups and lots of people for you to get to know. Awana's youth also Wednesday night. And then Friday, the youth are going to an escape room. So pray for them that they escape, I guess. All right. Um, is Karen here? You ready? She's coming. All right. Well, Karen's going to talk about Operation Christmas Child. It's almost Christmas, right? Oh, you got a guest, too. Nice. Yeah. Elizabeth has a toy that you might put, stand there so they can see you, has a toy that they, you might put in your shoebox. It's Operation Christmas Child Time, sharing Jesus, his great love for us, and the salvation we have through him. We pack these shoebox gifts with many practical items like toothbrushes and 
soap and washcloths. But when they first open the shoebox, they want to see a wow item. In the month of April, we are collecting toys and fun things for girls, like dolls and a pack of, um, I'm sorry, I'm out of breath, playing cards, um, balls, flashlights, uh, play jewelry, jump ropes, anything that girls would enjoy playing with. Boy, we really did so run. We really did run from the nursery. <laughs> Where will Mechanicsville Baptist Church 405 shoeboxes go this year? Only God knows. Let's begin now by bringing items. There's a box right in the foyer where you can bring toys and fun things for girls in the month of April. God knows where they're going. Be praying for the children now. May God bless you as you participate in this ministry. Okay. Thank you. And definitely keep that in prayer and bring in items for Operation Christmas Child uh, each month. Thank you, Karen. Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through uh, 6. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we bring to you this service, and we thank you that uh, we are not alone and that you are with us, and together we are participants in your gospel. God, we are thankful that you've put us in community, you've put us into fellowship, and we're thankful for the power of your cross. We thank you for the uh, new and living way you've given us in your resurrection. And this uh, morning we pray that we would come to know you more and we draw closer to you and that we would encourage one another in the participation of the gospel in which we share. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning, everyone. We are going to begin by opening our hymnals to page 239, The Wonderful Cross, page 239. The chorus is one that may not be familiar to you, so Dwight's going to lead us through on that part of it. Yeah, the chorus of The Wonderful Cross is, uh, Oh, the wonderful cross, oh, the wonderful cross, bids me come and die and find that I may truly live. Oh, the wonderful cross. The wonderful cross, all who gather here by grace draw near and bless your name. It's really important as we look at the message today that we understand what it means to draw near. So if you aren't used to seeing that part of it, it'll go well with our sermon. So uh, go ahead and stand up.
do our responsive reading, and it's number five, page 852 in your hymnals, if you would turn there, and it's titled, The Beauty of the Lord. I will do the worship leader. Men, you'll read the men together, women, the women. Uh, worshipers will be everyone together, and then uh, all as well. I've asked one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you. In a land that is dry, desolate, and without water. So I gaze on you in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. My lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. So, so I will praise you as long as I live. At your name, I will lift up my hands. All the earth will worship you and sing praise to you. They will sing praise to your name. Sing praise to God. Sing praise. Sing praise to our King. Sing praise. We'll continue worshiping our Lord through song. If you will stand and sing hymn number 446, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Hymn 446, please stand.
scripture reading comes from John 10, 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd laid down his life for his sheep. May we pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity for us to be able to come to your house and worship you on this beautiful day. Uh, Lord, be with these tithes and blessings and offerings that they will further your kingdom. Lord, be with uh, Dwight as he brings us your message. In Jesus' name, amen.
seated. I was given the privilege to, to share from God's Word this morning, and about two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, I uh, was driving around to work, which is here, and that song came on from my iPod, Nothing But the Blood, and the words to that song uh, resonated with me. I've heard that song many times. But I thought, what better post-Easter message could we receive than the proof of the blood of Jesus? And a, a lot of people might think, well, you know, that's sort of going back the few days before Easter. But the difference is the blood of Jesus is living and it's active because Jesus rose from the dead. And we're going to see this morning that the the case that is made by the author of Hebrews is certifiable for evidence of the proof of the blood in the life of the believer. And so the challenge today is going to be, is the case for your life evidence based upon the proof of Jesus' blood? Let us pray. Father God, we pray that you would open your word that you would speak truth to us, that it would not be uh, myself, it would not be anything of earth, but that uh, your word would speak life and truth, and that you would uh, make yourself known and make your truth great in this place, so that when we leave here, we have been provoked by your spirit to live out 
what you have called us to live. God, I pray for this congregation. I give uh, a prayer of thankfulness for Mechanicsville Baptist Church, the fellowship and the community of believers, and may we as your church be compelled by you in this hour to glorify your name. Speak through these uh, next few minutes through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. In Greek, this entire passage is one sentence. It's original translation. It's all one sentence. There's no periods of any kind. So when we're going through this, it gives a great simple case for the proof of the blood of Jesus and for the evidence by which it is to be lived out in our time. So let me read this passage. Starting at verse 19 in Hebrews chapter 10, follow along if you will. Verse 19 says, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Verse 24, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. May God add his blessing on the reading of his word. In Sunday school a week ago, I had an illustration, and I have to pick on somebody different this time. I picked on Terry in the last uh, hour, so uh, let's go with, uh, who's the nicest person in here? Raise your hand if you're the nicest person in here. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll go with Faye. Not that you are or you're not, I don't know, we can't really judge those type of things, but I'll pick on Faye. Um, we, we use this illustration, and in Making a case for the proof of the blood, uh, we, we want to compare this to making a case in earthly terms. So let's just hypothetically say that Faye was going to rob a bank. So she, she wants to do certain things to successfully pull off this heist. First thing she's going to do, and I know she's going to take that ski mask and she's going to put it over her head. So nobody will recognize that it's Faye. She's going to like wear clothes that are completely different than what she normally wears. She's going to find somebody else's car. She's going to go to the bank in which she's going to rob in somebody else's vehicle. And when she goes into the, uh, the bank, she's going to have her gun. It's just a story. And she's going to go up to the teller, and she's going she's gonna, to, she's gonna, as she's going in, she's going to look around, making sure nobody might recognize her. She's going to disguise her voice, and she's going to hold that gun up, and she's going to be like, empty, empty your registers. Give me all that you got. They're going to be like, professional bank robber, obviously, here's all our money, she's going to go, and then as she's, she's gone a couple weeks later, somebody arrests her, and she goes to court, and she goes on trial for this crime. Did Faye do it? We all know she did. But the uh, evidence is not very good. Why? She had a mask, she, had a, she, had, she was disguising herself, she had a different appearance, she tried to cover all her tracks. The video cameras in the bank wouldn't be able to recognize that's Faye for sure. 
And so she would go to trial, and people would be like, I know Faye, she's the type who would rob a bank. And then somebody else would come up like, I think it might have been Faye. I'm not sure. She's the kind of person who might do that, but I don't know. It kind of looked like her. I'm not sure. And then they might, you know, have the teller come up and say, was this the lady who robbed the bank? And the teller might go, I don't know. The voice sounds a little different. Seems to be about the right height. All this might go into play. What is going to be the verdict of Faye's crime? She's going to be not guilty, even though she was. She's going to not be seen as not guilty. So we take this the other way around, and Faye is trying to pull off this crime in a less professional manner. And what she does is she says, forget the mask. I'm just going in exactly like I am, and I'm going to drive up in my car, and I'm going to walk in the bank. And when she gets to the bank, there's going to be Kevin over here. He's uh, making a deposit. He doesn't use debit cards, I understand, so he's not using his debit card. And he is, he's making a deposit, and Faye is like, oh, Kevin, you're here. By the way, Kevin... I'm going to rob this bank today. And Kevin's like, what, Faye, really? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to rob this bank. It's going to be great. And she walks around a little bit further, and she sees Gretchen over here, and Gretchen's just getting free coffee because that's what she does at banks. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> and she's over there getting coffee, and Faye says, Gretchen, I didn't know you were going to be here, but I want you to know I'm robbing this bank today. And Gretchen's a little taken back. And then she goes up to the teller, and she says, hey, my name is Faye Tony. Stick them up and give me all you got. And the teller's going to be like, well, this is an odd bank robbery. Gets the money. She leaves. She kind of waves to Kevin and Gretchen on her way out. And then the police arrest her, bring her to trial. And what's going to happen on this trial? Kevin and Gretchen are going to get called in. And uh, the, the teller is going to get called in. And they're going to they're be these witnesses. And they're going to say, Kevin, we think Faye Tony robbed this bank. Did, did she rob the bank? He's gonna say, she told me he, she was going to do it. Same thing with Gretchen. And then the teller's going to be like, not only did, is she the woman, she looks just like her. She told me her name before she robbed me. And then, the, then they're going to get all the security footage. You're going to be like, look, she's all over. And it's going to be certifiable she is going down for this crime. This case of the blood of Jesus that we're looking at is certifiable and yet we take all kinds of precautions to not make that certifiable, to make the world wonder if we're a Christian or not by the way that we live, by the way that we respond to this message. We add confusion. When we want to be, in this case, guilty of person who follows Jesus Christ with our lives. This is the case that is made, and we don't want it to be confusing. We don't want to hide it. We want to be made known to be convicted of this. Verses 19 and 20 start off this passage. There's three points and two subpoints under number two, if you're taking notes at home. Number one is we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. 19 and 20 says, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. We have confidence to enter into the very presence of God. If this does not stun you, it should. But think about the, the audience in which this book was being written to, the Hebrews, Jewish people who are new converts to the faith. They were used to that idea being preposterous, being inconceivable to enter the very holy place of Jesus or of God with confidence? Are you kidding? This, this was beyond imagination. 
But we in our culture today, it's like, yeah, Jesus lives in me. I walk around with him all the time. Great. We've taken it for granted. We've taken it lightly. The privilege it is to enter the holy place of God. Look at what the, the, the connection is that he's drawing here. He's drawing a connection to the, the tabernacle or the temple in the Old Testament because this is something they would very much relate to. And if you look back, this will be very, very quick. This is a quick history lesson of the temple. There was an outer courtyard. And in the outer courtyard, people could gather. And when they went into the outer courtyard, there was an altar of burnt offerings. They would bring their animal sacrifices to be killed by the priest so that their sins could be paid for by this animal. Then the priest would wash his hands in this water basin, this laver that was there. And then only priests could enter into the holy place, which is the, the door that goes into the inside, which is a little bit further in as the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant and the, and the glory of God existed. Priests were the only ones who were allowed to go in through this door, not common people. And when they went in, they'd offer their prayers into the, in the holy place. They would intercede on behalf of the people and they would pray for that person. There was a veil that separated the holy place with the holy of holies. Thick curtain. Once a year, only one person could enter into the most holy place or the holy of holies. That was the high priest. One person, once a year, could enter into the very presence of God. So think about this passage right here. He's saying every single person, by the blood of Jesus, the proof of the blood of Jesus gives us access to God all the time with confidence in person. It's stunning and unfathomable. The, the, the high priest would go in once a year, and he, as he would come into the presence of God, it was so shaky, it was so nerve-wracking, if you will, that the other priests would tie a rope around the high priest because they were not allowed to go into the, the, the Holy of Holies. They would tie a rope around him. So if something happened, if he was impure, if he had some sort of uh, impropriety of any kind, and he was happened to be struck dead by the presence of God, that they wouldn't have to go in. They could pull his body out with the rope. We're talking about complete lack of any confidence to approach the glory of God. Today, we are living in a new and a living way and it says, we have confidence to enter this holy place. We have confidence to enter into a place where people couldn't even imagine. And we do so by the blood of Jesus. Not because we are so great. Not because I have so much faith in myself that I can enter into the presence of God. It's because Jesus died and was risen from the dead to give us a new and a living way that we could enter into the holy of holies. The veil was torn. Jesus, in his flesh, tore the veil with crucifixion and resurrection. And he is our way. I think about places in which we are not confident to enter. I'll just, I'll just give you one. Your boss calls you up and says, hey, Dwight, I need to see you pronto. Usually you're not like, all right, I'm going in for a raise probably. This is great. You run in, hey, boss, what do you want? What do you do? You're like, oh, man, what, what does the boss want? Okay, you're hesitant. You're, you're thinking about it. You're like, okay, this is strange. Okay, I hope I'm not in trouble. I hope I didn't do something wrong. And you go in kind of scared and nervous, right? 
when you're a kid and you get called into the principal's office, I'm not saying this ever happened to me. It did happen to me. There was never a moment where Dwight Hedges, you need to go to the principal's office. There's never a moment where I was like, all right, he probably wants to give me an award. It was always like, oh, my goodness, what did I do? Did I get caught sneaking into the school at recess, whatever it might be? Might have been that. I don't know, sneaking into the school just to, never mind. So I get called into the principal's office, me and this other young man, and we knew it was in the principal's office. There was a big paddle over his desk. Some people are shaking their heads. They're like, yes, I remember the day where the principal could paddle disobedient students. We were scared. And we knew that paddle was there. We knew it was real. And we knew if we were caught for what we thought we were caught for, that we were going to get paddled and our parents were going to get called. So we were not, ang- we were not like, excited to go into that place. We were nervous. We were scared. We had our heads down. And we went in there, and it turned out that we were the ones who were guilty, and we got paddled. It was like, well, we don't want to ever be here again. I know it's such a culturally different thing for today, but some people know what I'm talking about. This is the presence of God that the author of Hebrews is talking about. The presence of God, and we don't have to go in like the high priest once a year, scared if they're going to live or die. We go in with confidence. Like the song we just sang says, not earthly confidence, only by the blood of Jesus. We have access to Jesus Christ through the Father, through Jesus Christ, all of the time, and we just take that for granted. And that's the first proof of Jesus being real to you, that you know wherever you go, whatever you do, you are in the presence of God. Not because of anything you did, but because of the blood of Jesus. The prior chapter in Hebrews emphasized this. Christ's blood provides forgiveness. His shed blood satisfies the penalty God imposed for sin. And we cannot approach God, it says, with any good works or merits of our own. Only by the merit of Jesus' blood. Jesus atoned once and for all on the altar human sin in a complete and totality that all people for all time will have in a way that animal sacrifices could not ever account for. So we have this new, we have this living way. And when it says, um, new and living way which he inaugurated, New means in the original translation, freshly slain. And I had permission from from Gretchen to share this story. Freshly slain. Here's where I want to get at. We are so numb to the presence of God being written on our hearts that we can walk around and not even think about it. We can come to church and be like, well, God's going to maybe speak to me and I'll get something out of it. Not really. The presence of God is here. God is here. The very glory of God is here. He is here with us right now. And we kind of come in and think, well, what am I going to get out of it? God is here. You're going to get something out of it and you're going to be provoked because God is here. And it should be fresh. Ethan came uh, home from school one day and Gretchen opens the lunchbox and Ethan, why didn't you eat your sandwich I made for you? And he says the words that will live in infamy, infamy for the rest of eternity. He says, Mom, I only eat fresh sandwiches. So we were like, what did he just say? You want your mom to go to school at noon, put on a little chef's hat, make up a sandwich for you, and then you'll eat it? But if it's made in the morning, you won't eat it four hours later? We're like bewildered by this. We're like, are you kidding me? It has to be 
fresh for you to eat a sandwich? And then he, of course, was like, well, that's not really what I mean. I just like fresh sandwiches and so on and so on. This message should not be something that's four hours stale to us. This message should not be something that's two weeks stale to us. This should not be something that's 20 years stale to us. This is a new and a living way that has to be uh, awakened in our hearts today. Last week was Easter Sunday. On Easter Sunday, I don't know about you, but when I come into church on Easter Sunday, it's like Jesus is alive. It's real. He rose from the dead. He is God himself, risen from the dead, victory over sin and death. It's, it's immediate. It's real. But then we're like, but, you know, that was 2,000 years ago, and we kind of fade back our, our conviction. No, the power of the gospel, the proof of the blood says today you are living in the very presence of God, and it is as fresh as the day you first heard that message. If you've become numb to the idea that God lives in you, be concerned. Be really concerned. It is living. It is life. And it is, the veil has been torn, and we can go to God anytime, by any means, in confidence because of Jesus. Now, the, 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 the audience who was getting this letter had a history of, no, we do not go into that place. That is impossible to imagine. So the author here knows they're going to have some hesitation. Like, this is too radical of a concept to be entering the presence of God all the time. The Jews were going to stumble over this because Jesus was still a carpenter. They, they still have this mindset of he was, he was a man, so they're grasping all this. So the author gives this next vital truth, and it, it's in verses 21 through 23, and it says, Since we have a great priest over the house of God, we have a great priest over the house of God. This is so important to understand. We, Jesus is not just a priest. Jesus is the great priest in which has made a way for all people to draw near to him. It says, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from evil conscience, our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. He who promised is faithful. Jesus is in control. Jesus is such a great priest that he paid for every sin that has ever been committed, and he did it once for all, and because of that, we have confidence to enter the holy place. It's, it's not just like Jesus is a pretty good priest. Jesus is the great one. The book of Hebrews is a book about exalting who Jesus is, the supremacy of Christ, who he is as the great high priest. This is the only book that makes a systematic developing truth of the priesthood of Jesus. By offering himself, he fulfilled every Levitical law of priesthood, but to such a much, much, much greater extent, because he is an eternal priest that abides forever at the right hand of God to intercede for his people, for you and I, to intercede for us. So we have direct access to God because of the priest in which we have. He then refers to believers as the house of God. There's a story of a teenager who was chewing gum in church. And the pastor, a lady came up to the, to the kid, uh, or came up to the pastor and said, Pastor, why is this kid chewing gum in the house of God? And the pastor replied, Lady, the house of God is the one chewing the gum. It's such an important truth for you to understand. This building is not the house of God. 
The people of Christ are the house of God. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. And what the pastor was saying here is the person is the house of God. We have God's presence in us today. And in doing so, God is no longer dwelt in in buildings made by human hands, but in the hearts of his people, and we are the temple of the living God. The two things that have to come through in order for us to live out this proof are number one, draw near. It says, we draw near to God in faith in verse 22. Because of our great priest over, over God's house, let us draw near with a sincere heart. This means we as Christ's followers should not take for granted the presence of God. We should be wearing out our access to God. The, the, the literal word um, that is translated here is, is, is the same as trampled underfoot. Drawing near is like making a path to and from God, making a path, making a path, making a path. Like So everybody around you can see you're with God, you're with God, you're with God. We have to be honest about where we are in order to make that path. Part of the problem is, I think a lot of us don't have sincere hearts. Here's where I say this. Hypocrisy is a hallmark of Christians. And that's pretty much the one thing Jesus really despised in his time on earth, right? People who are hypocrites, he called them out. And now the church is known as hypocrites. Here's probably why the world thinks that is because they think Christians are really good at putting on a mask, coming to church, acting like everything's fine, and then thinking nothing of his word the rest of the week. That's, that's what maybe the world sees. They see these Christians are just putting on a big front. They come in to make themselves feel good, and they go out and they live like they want to live, no different than anybody else. What the author says here is when you draw near with a sincere heart, you come as you are, who you are, And who you are is someone who's been washed in the blood of Jesus. Sprinkled clean and your body's washed with pure water. You are new creations transformed in his image. And the sin in which we do is no longer who we are. We are children of God. This requires us to be very honest and not say, well, then I don't have to worry about what people think. I'll just do whatever I want because Jesus lives in me. Or... You will say, you know what, each and every day, I'm going to make sure that I am worthy of God dwelling in me. The priests, after they killed the animal, they washed their hands because they didn't want the blood to enter into the holy place. They washed their hands in that water basin. That's the same illustration that he's giving us here. Our outer selves have to be washed. But then he gives, we also have to have our bodies washed, talking about inward purity. We have to match in order to be in the presence of God because God is the one who sees our insides. If we clean ourselves up, but we still have hatred and evil and lust and sin in our heart, first thing he's going to be is you're not. That needs to be removed. We have to wash ourselves from the inside out. It would be like um, if you're hot and thirsty on a summer day, and you want a drink of lemonade really, really bad that's in the refrigerator, you open up the dishwasher, you look at a a cup or a glass, and on the outside it looks really, really clean and wonderful. You take your lemonade, you start pouring it in the cup, and as you pour it in the cup, you realize the inside is disgusting. 
filled with all kinds of gunk and nastiness. You're not probably going to say, well, the outside of the cup is clean, so I'll just drink it up. What you're going to do is the inside of the cup is rotten, and so therefore that is not going to touch my mouth. We, as people who want to be proven to be disciples of Christ, have to say our insides matches our outsides. And sometimes what that means is you walk around with a lot of hurt, and the people around you see a lot of hurt, but it's authentic because that's who you are in Christ. You don't have to hide what's going on. And sometimes there's a lot of joy, and the outside exhibits a lot of joy. Why do we put on a mask? Why do we put on a front? We have to apply this point in order for this conviction to be made that we are his. Do you apply that point? I think one of the problems is professing Christians just neglect this. Their only intake of the word of God is maybe a Sunday morning. Their only time they pray is when they're in a time of crisis. We need to wear out that access with God. And trust me, if, and it's true, if God is in us and we've taken it for granted, he knows we've taken it for granted, and we have to say, thank you for being here with me. I'm not taking you for granted another day. I have privilege to go into the holy place, Jesus, because of your blood. Verse 23 is the second part. The first one is draw near to God. Draw near to God. The second one, I love this. It's hold fast. And it basically means clinch with all of your might to the truth of God. No matter what the world throws at us, we are going to hold fast to the truth of Jesus. As a church, we're going to hold fast. As an individual, you're not going to cave when an influence comes in that's counter what God's word says. You're going to hold fast to the truth. The great truth of this is Jesus is already holding fast to you. So we owe it to him that we're going to be strong in his name. It says, uh, after drawing near, it says in verse 23, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. He who promised is faithful. It implies there's a danger that you have to hold on to something because this world is coming at you and they're going to try to pry your fingers off and get you away from what you really are as a Christ follower. I had a I have a cousin, his name's Josh. He came to visit Bryson and, and Matthew for a week in the summer several years ago. He was probably six, seven-year-old, Bryson. His dad said, Dwight, I will give you $1,000 if you get him to hold his head underwater and learn how to swim because he won't put his head underwater. He goes, I'll give you $1,000 for you. He was, he was the end of his rope. He's like, we cannot get him to go underwater. In a bathtub, he won't go underwater. In the shower, he won't put his head in the water. The kid is scared of water. $1,000. Now, I don't think he was ever going to give me $1,000, even if it worked. But you know what I did? I was like, I am doing it. I'm going to make Josh get, get to learn how to swim by starting but get him underwater at $1,000. So the first day, I took him to the pool. And I was being all friendly and nice, and Bryson and Matthew were there, and and I was like, come on out here, look, watch, up and down. And he would just be on the side, holding fast. Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. And then finally I was like, well, you're not going to go underwater if you're holding on to the, the bar on the side. So I'd take him, and I'd kind of unclench his hands, and I'd bring him out. You know what he would do? He would clinch onto me. And he was not going down no matter what. He was holding on as tight as possible. And so in my head I was like, well, well okay. This is not working. We go the next day. I have some new strategies. When he comes and grabs onto me, we're going to both go down underneath. I would try that, and he would try for all his might to keep his head above the water. It wouldn't work. And the more I would try, the more he would go over to the side and just hold onto that bar. He would do two hands sometimes. And you and Matthew were just like, give it up, Dad. You're not getting your $1,000. The week went on. I tried 
more extreme things. I was like, unlimited snow cones if you go under the water, man. I was bribing. I was ice cream. Whatever you want, you're going to get it. We'd go to the movies. go see Star Wars. We were selling anything he liked. He would not go underwater. The dad comes to pick him up. He's like, how'd you do? I was like, didn't happen. Didn't go under. He will not go underwater. By the way, he does. He swims now. He's fine. But at the time, he would not. That is us to the truth. If somebody's telling us a lie, we shouldn't be like, oh, great. I I can go with that. We should be holding fast to the hope that we have in Jesus, no matter the turmoil that's around us. If we don't, what kind of soft, sorry Christians are we if we just turn on a dime? Christ wants us to hold fast the confession of hope without waving. I have a wedding ring. John talked about a wedding ring a couple weeks ago. A wedding ring shows you're faithful to your wife, and it's a symbol. And if I'm elsewhere in another city, in another town, in another country, whatever it might be, and somebody sees Dwight, they'll see Dwight has a wedding ring. The wedding ring is a symbol that I have pledged to my wife my faithfulness that's not going to waver. I'm not going to be somebody who's like, you know what? This wedding ring comes off pretty easily. I'm going to take it off and act like I'm not married. That would be inappropriate to the wife. And so what we do is we hold on to it fast. Now, there's not a lot of people over here trying to rip wedding rings off guys' fingers. It's kind of strange. But what we do is we say, you know, I'm holding on to God's word. I'm holding on to this blood of Jesus who has defended me and given me my righteousness for all it's worth because He who holds fast is faithful. God is faithful. And so therefore, we are going to do everything he tells us to do. We're not going to compromise. We're not going to give in. We're not going to cave. We're going to be as strong as possible. What are we going to be as strong as possible to do? This is the last part of of the case. Verses 24 and 25 bring this into a way that is life-changing, if it hasn't already been life-changing. A lot of people in the American church feel that theology has no place because it's just not practical. We want sermons that help you feel good, or we want sermons that talk about your marriage or raising your kids or how to be more successful at job. This is, this is the danger of the American church is we're softening the gospel. The theology in which the author gives here is so deep and so strong and so so rooted in truth, it has better application for life if you truly understand where God's going. It doesn't have less. So theology mixed with truth compels us to live it out. Compels us to live it out. And it says in, in verse 24 and 25, so let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and to good deeds. This is our command. This is where it all comes down. If the proof of the blood of Jesus is real to you and you have complete access to God the Father through Jesus Christ and you are drawing near and you are holding fast, what you are going to do is consider how to stimulate others to love and good deeds. This is is one of the most amazing things ever. Scripture is filled with places that says you need to do love and good deeds for the glory of God. This is not where the author goes. When the gospel is made real to you, what you're going to do is you're going to consider, you're going to use focused attention, you're going to give it all of your effort how to get other people to be in the kingdom. 
how to get the rest of your church to be the people that God has called them to be. You can't just come into church and sit there and think church is for you. The Bible tells us you are to consider how to get one another involved in the gospel. You cannot come to church and think it's just about you. It's about what you can do to provoke this is how it's almost translated, one another to love and good deeds. When we think about provoking, it's kind of a bad thing. How am I going to provoke somebody, you know, get them angry at me? What the Bible means here is I'm going to provoke somebody to love and good deeds. I'm going to poke them. I'm going to nudge them. I'm going to encourage them. I'm not going to let them sit sit still and be apathetic to the word of God. I'm not going to let them come into church and think Sunday morning is all there is. You have to provoke one another. And that's kind of exciting to me because you know what that also means? You have to provoke me. I have to provoke you. It's not just the staff that provokes. You have to provoke one another. That's the calling of the gospel. That's the calling of the proof. If you're really in Christ, you're going to be nudging people. You're going to be poking people. You're going to encourage people. You're going you're to do whatever it takes to get them to be who they need to be in the body of Christ. Let us consider. Uh, I... I uh, I've given my life to ministry. I've been in this since I can't remember when. I obsess about ways people can fall in love with Jesus. Obsess about it. How can I get that person to love Jesus like I want? How can I get my kids to love Jesus like they want? How can I get people around me to love Jesus? That's not just what I want. That's God who wants that. And what he, does, what he says is, what can I do to help encourage those around me to be proven to be followers of Christ? What can I do? And if you're not doing that, you need to be doing that. That's, the, that's where you're going to be convicted. People are going to say, that person's not only living for, for, for doing love and good deeds, that person is doing everything in their power to bring people into that. Spur someone on Provoke one another to get involved. I'll I'll be honest. I think it's a disservice to any church anywhere to say we're fine as we are. We are not fine as we are. We have to do better at reaching our community for Christ. We have to do better of getting one another involved in everything that's going on in this place. If you sit there and say, you know, it's good that somebody else might go to something, but you're not doing anything about it, you're not helping. We need everybody to do this because we're at a point in time where we are desperate for Jesus to do something great here. And let me tell you, I'm confident, like this passage says, that he is going to do something great here. I am so thankful that God's brought me here because the people here are inhabiting the glory and the presence of Christ. And I think we simply need to be reminded who we are as a church. And we need to poke, and we need to prod, and we need to spur, and we need to start to get on it how we are going to live out the gospel. I read it. It breaks my heart. I read something this week that said 51% of professing Christians don't even know what the Great Commission is. More than half of people who say they are professing Christians don't even know what the Great Commission is. To me, that is just impossible to believe. But it also 
is a reminder that we have a lot of work to do to spur one another on, to live out the Great Commission, to go and to make disciples in all nations, teaching them to observe all things I've command, commanded, and lo, I'm with you always. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Holy, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have to get people into the business of living out your life in Christ. You can't do it if you're by yourself. There is a danger here. He said, boy, some people are forsaking the assembling together. Some people are forsaking the assembly together. And this was early on. Come a couple thousand years later, we have people who are forsaking the assembling together. And it is the job of each one of us to encourage one another as all the more as you see the day drawing near. You have to be here in order to encourage one another. I know there's a lot of people who say, you know, I can just, I can live out my Christian faith alone. I can sit at home and go golf because I'm a house of God. The presence of Christ dwells in me. The Bible calls us to come together in person and assemble together to live this out. Some people might say, oh, I encourage others by Instagram or by Facebook. I make encouraging posts. Don't get me started on that. That is not what the Bible calls assembling together. God wants his church, his people together in person, poking, prodding, spurring, provoking, encouraging, and not allowing someone else around to, be, to forsake that. The gospel is relational, and the truth is we are our brother's keeper. I used to not understand that term at all. What does it mean I'm a brother's keeper? I didn't even really like my brothers a lot of the time. What does that mean? Some old reference from Cain and Abel, am I my brother's keeper? Kind of in sarcasm. We are our brother's keeper. It is not the job of one person, of two people, of deacons or Sunday school teachers. It's every single one to be each other's brother's keeper, to make sure that we, as a healthy church, consider how to move forward in this calling that he's given us. If we isolate ourselves, if we back away, if we say, I don't need to be around people, it's only going to be a matter of time before that person gets snatched off by a wolf. That's why the Bible calls us sheep. We need to stay together. We need to meet together, and we have to be strong together. And it's not superficial. It's impossible. It's impossible to get to know one another every, if you just come on Sunday mornings. It's impossible. So what we do is we want to meet together in other ways. That's why we have Wednesday nights. That's why we have a fellowship meal, so that you can come and get to know one another and get connected with these studies. This is why we do mission trips like going to the Dominican Republic, so that we can go and live out the truth. This is why you have Sunday school classes. This is why you have trips to the White House as the teenage group who went. This is why we do things together, because the gospel is not going to be real. The proof is not going to be real until people say, man, that church loves one another they love doing things together, and they have a purpose in which I want to be a part of. Nobody wants to come in and say, I don't know what this church has going on. I'll just come in here and hang out and leave. They want to see that we do stuff together. You can play volleyball together. You can go to Southwest Virginia. You can clean up the church together. It starts here, and it continues and goes. I think uh, oftentimes we come in and we just want a message that makes us laugh or makes us think, oh, what did I get out of that message? I want this message to provoke you. 
I want you to walk away and say, man, Dwight isn't the one who provoked me. The Holy Spirit provoked me. I want to be provoked. I want to say, boy, you know what? I'm not doing a good enough job of getting people to love and good deeds either. I want you to walk out of here and say, it's not about me. It's about what I can do to take my eyes off myself and help someone around me who may be hurting, lonely, depressed, or uncomfortable and take that initiative to take an interest in one another. I'll say this. I said this at the end. I am really thankful that my parents forced me to go to church. It's an odd thing to say. Because at the time, I didn't like it so much. There was no excuse. It didn't matter how I liked it or didn't like it. Dwight, you're going to church. And because of that, this is the place in which God has most grown me. Who has most been able to use me, has most encouraged me. I can't imagine being apart from the body of Christ. And I know that many of you feel that way too. And we can look around and say, you know what, this place is not the same without those who are around you. And this place is not the same without others who are not here with us. What can I do? What can we do to make this place exactly what God wants it to be. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your word, for this case that was made to prove the truth of the blood of Jesus in our lives. God, may we be people who are overwhelmed by the reality that we get to draw near to you each and every moment, that we have the freedom to come before you and worship without a veil. We are people who get to experience the very presence of God in each and every way you give it. God, we, we, we are thankful people that you have done that for us, that you have torn the veil, and that you have given us a new life and an access to you. And in doing so, God, help us to not neglect what we are to do. Help us to draw near. Help us to hold fast because the world is oppositional to what you're about. And God, help us to provoke one another to love and good deeds. Help us to be faithful because you are faithful, because you are so good, and there is nothing more wonderful than you, Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The uh, invitation, I will say this, as I said with the... Uh, earlier service, every time God's word is proclaimed, a response is demanded. It's not um, optional. When God's word comes to us, we're to respond. And here's why, because God is in us, and he's with us, and he loves us, and he wants us to be Proof of the blood of Jesus in our lives is going to be how you respond to Jesus Christ. How you respond to the freedom you have to come before him in each and every moment. How you in your life provokes and encourages one another to love and good deeds. So as we sing our invitation hymn, I would encourage you to be mindful that it's really unacceptable just to sit there. Now, if you're sitting there and you're communing 
with God, that's wonderful. But you have to respond and say, God, what can I do to encourage one, one another in this? What can I do to reach out to my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? And we have an altar up here. There's no veil. If you want to come forward and just simply sit on the front pew or sit here and pray for somebody else that God brought to your mind that you need to encourage, please do so. If you, and I, and I love this idea, if you know somebody around you who needs encouragement, you know what's okay to do? Walk over to them, put your hand on their shoulder, and pray for them. Whatever God leads you to do, do it. It might be sitting there and being serious with God. It might be coming up front and praying. It might be encouraging somebody else. It might be saying, you know what? I really am unsure about my own relationship with Jesus. I am living in my own righteousness. I need Jesus to save me. If that's the case, come forward. We would be delighted to pray with you and, and share with you the truth of who you are in Christ. So as we sing, I would encourage you to do that. Don't just sit there or stand there as we do, but please talk with God. Jesus intercedes for you right now, however he wants you to move with, with, uh, together as his church respond in the right way. Leslie, if you come on up. Tim 493, revive us again. We praise thee, O oh God, for the Son of thy love, for Jesus who died and is now gone above.
thank you again for being here. I'm telling you, the gathering of the saints is unlike anything else this world has to offer. I am thankful that you have chosen to come and be a part of this body of Christ. And I know that because you're here, you're here for a reason. You're here for a reason. We want you here to provoke one another to love and good deeds. And you know what's going to happen? You're going to be doing love and good deeds because somebody else is going to provoke you, provoking you. It's a wonderful place. And so I pray that as we lived in, the, in this post-resurrection, new and living way, that the proof of the blood of Jesus is that that's what we do. We're going to draw near to God because he's here with us. We're going to hold fast, and we're going to live like the church in which he's called us to live. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let us have a closing prayer. Father God, I pray for this congregation. I pray for Mechanicsville Baptist Church. I thank you for the gathering of your children here this day. I thank you that we are each other's brother's keepers, that you have called us to look out for one another, that you have called us to live out with evidence the proof of the blood of Jesus in which you have ransomed your children. God, we thank you that you paid a debt we could not pay. We thank you that we are in your presence all the time, and we thank you that as a church, we're called to extend your kingdom and to encourage one another to great things. God, we thank you that you, Jesus, are the greatest thing. God, we pray that our church would be known for our love for you, Jesus, and that more and more people would fall so in love with you that they will give their lives to your service. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.